Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee. Your traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Carter Worth, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, GE bringing good things to life. The stock is up 20%, yep, 20% in the month of October. And the chart master here says there are more gains to come. You won't believe how high he thinks it could go. Plus, rates are on the rise. But if you're looking for yield, you don't have to look too far. The traders will take us yield hunting for the top dividend stocks in the Dow. And that is right where we start, with rising rates and investors playing defense. Yes, that crucial element that was missing from the New York Giants loss. <laughs> the defensive sector is taking off today as tech gets slammed rate-sensitive sectors, which would typically sell off in a high-interest rate environment like real estate, consumer staples, utilities. They all caught a bid, up about a percent or more, leading the market. So what is this move to defense saying about the market? Should investors out there follow suit? Guy, what do you say? What does it say about the market? I think people are concerned. The VIX says people are concerned. And I think what the market is saying, you know, maybe the Federal Reserve, who's about face, you know, changing course, maybe it is going to have market ramifications. And maybe they are behind the curve. And maybe it's not going to be as easy as the market thought it was six months ago. I'll say this, though. I can't believe the market's piling into utilities the XLU continues to go higher. It doesn't make any sense to me. But I do think there are places you can be. And I looked at two spots. I still think you can be in energy. And again, kudos to Tim on this, who's been on that for a long time. And healthcare continues to have this stealth rally that people don't want to talk about. But if you look at the big cap pharma names, they all traded really well on what was a pretty lousy tape most of the day today. It's a bad sign for the markets that uh, people wanted to go into these typically rate-sensitive areas? I don't really think so. I mean, you think about it, the S&P 500 is almost up 8% of the year. So we're talking about we'd like we've had some sort of sell-off. It's down about 2 2.5% from the all-time highs it just made last month. So when I think about where people are focused on the equity markets and what's coming out of it, right now we're seeing high valuation. We're seeing very crowded trades, you know, like the MAGA trade is having a little uh, hard time here. The Microsoft, the Apple, the yes. Google, the Amazon. Um, and then if you want to go over to some of the, you know, the kind of high flyers that don't have the valuation support as those names, stuff in the cloud space. You know, we're seeing things like Adobe and Workday and ServiceNow, some of those things have a hard time. So to me, I think it's really a little kind of rotation out of some of the very crowded high valuation names. And that's the thing for market players right now. Is, is there something different now? Obviously, the vol spike is something we haven't seen in three months. We're three-month highs. Um, you can make an argument that the, between the tariffs, between the Fed, and maybe, you know, wh whatever else you want to play in terms of where corporations are starting to make some noise about the fourth quarter, uh, stronger dollar. But, but we've seen this before, and I agree with Dan in that a lot of this, to me, could just be rotation. How many times have we done this? Um, I do think that defensively, there are names in the value camp and whether it's energy and I you know I, I ultimately think that there still is a lot of value in the energy space uh, that isn't necessarily defensive if you start to worry about where there have been volatile a lot of volatility in the past ultimately I think banks are the place to play and I still think you want to stay your energy. I mean the one thing is that this is not new right so staples right. bottomed in April May then healthcare bottomed in June we've had a rotation that's been going techs relative performance the leading sector the largest sector peaked on the 6th of June. This has been going on for weeks. This is just more of the same. There's no new rotation. This is a continuation of what's been going on for essentially three to four months. But can the markets grind higher if, we, if this rotation is done, if the rotation that we've seen for the past couple months, if that is the rotation that will happen in the markets and we're not going to see the pickup in financials? Or do you see some well, other leadership? So if you think about it, we're losing the very strong. And it's, it's not just tech. It's anything that was up on a rope, whether it's Visa or ISRG. Big super cap idiosyncratic growth names are rolling while money is coming into defensive names. 
it all depends really, at least from my seat, on industrials and financials. It's not about the staples or utilities at the end of the day. That core middle would have to come to life in order for the market to go further. We did see some signs of life in financials when you take a look at the intraday chart in today's session at least. I mean, it reversed, right? Helped bring the markets practically to the flat line. Did. Was that... It's a good, good sign. I mean, but again, today's Columbus Day, so I don't necessarily, you know, you don't want to, you want to is discount Colum- a little. Is the it price. still Columbus Day? It's not. I, I, I indigenous didn't think people indigenous day. people indigenous day. People I don't think we're going to Columbus, Mr. I didn't mean, Italian. I'm sorry. I apologize. I, mean, I didn't realize they made that change. So it was a holiday. So yes. the bond market, <laughs> the bond market closed, was closed. So, so let's put market. it out there. But with that said, you have to be encouraged a little bit. Maybe the financials have put in a short-term bottom. I'm not so sure. I think Dan has said this before. The XLF is rolling over, and technically it sort of looks broken. If the banks are going to rally, they better do it soon. Otherwise, I don't know where we're going to get the leadership from. Yeah, I'll just say that investors don't really seem that excited about the quick rate rise that they've had here, you know, for banks. And I just want to make one other point. You know, like, again, we're talking about the S&P up 7.5%, and we know the concentration of those mega-cap techs. I couldn't think of anything healthier for the broad market. If you think we're finally going to make a breakout again of those prior highs and go forward into the new year would be a correction for the FANG, the MAG, whatever you want to call it, right? So maybe something like a 10, 15 percent. Some of them are already correcting to that Bank sort of point. Bank plus index is right? already in correction. So I guess my point is if, you, if the broad market can hold in and you have these other sectors, whether they be defensive or not, those are not going to be the leadership that actually make a meaningful breakout ultimately. Right, and to have lost... Um Sort of small cap growth was perhaps the best of all. And to have that to come off the way it has, it all is a little dodgy, right? We need it to stop. And, and as of now, it's not stopping. Well, I just I want to highlight what Carter said about small caps. First of all, they've underperformed the S&P by about 8.5% since June. This is supposedly where the growth is. It's supposed to be the insulated U.S. story. Um, and they're down 7% straight to the 200-day, which... It's only fought the 200-day four times in the last two years. So this is a very significant level. And I would argue that this is the barometer of a market that's starting to turn. So I think you should be watching that break. Is tech dead? I mean, we've seen it down, what, 4% over the past week or so? I mean, if you take semis as the leading edge of tech, the beta within tech, the investment cycle within tech, it would suggest that tech is dead. Ooh, it would suggest that tech is dead. And, what do you and say? We had- is it, it, at a certain point, it's, they're going to be stocks that are interesting on a valuation basis, without question. But As a it, sector, because a lot of people are investing a, in the queues, right? And, and not- Yeah, I think right now there's going to be more pain ahead in terms of, especially semis, but in terms of tech broadly. But I'll say this, and Carter was here on Friday. Mm-hmm. We talked about, but I actually asked Carter a question where he was at the smart board. I said, are we going to start talking about a potential double top in the S&P? And he said, funny, you should say that. And you know what? It's setting up that way. The S&P closed flat today, but technicians will start talking about a double top. Yeah, funny you should say that also, though, but it's really treacherous setup, right? So the worse these stocks act into earnings that get started in the next week or so is the likely muted, like, downside risk, is in my opinion, right? So I couldn't, like, back in January, when the market was up 8% as we head into earnings season so or something like that. It's a good setup for it, earnings this time around. It's a much possibly. better set, yes. A lot that's of these things are getting de-risked into the right. events. That's, right. a good, that's a good point. It's a, it's a good point. I would also, I think it's crazy to say tech is dead. And I know, you know, you were asking the question, you weren't saying it. And But but ultimately, you know, we've had a pullback of, of essentially 3% in the last couple days or over the last week, it's been trading choppy. We've seen this so many times, and the fact that matters, tech has gotten so frothy, I think you have to be careful about We've that. got a news alert here on PPG Industries. It is falling in the after hour session. Let's get to Seema Modi in the newsroom. Seema. And Melissa, I'd like to draw your attention to shares of PPG, which are falling after issuing uh, guidance to investors that is well below estimates. And the company is citing a number of concerns, including higher costs for raw materials, logistics, soft demand in China, 
weak foreign currencies in emerging, reason, emerging regions and also weak automotive refinish sales as several of our U.S. and EU customers carrying higher inventory levels. And the stock is down about 6% on this guidance. Back to you, Melissa. All right. Thank you very much, Seema. We can go a lot of different ways with this. What does it say about industrials? What does it say about other companies that have also come out already and said either the political environment or higher costs are posing a problem? Yeah, I mean, you, could, you know, these guys are in the auto sector, especially materials. You, you could you could argue that this is certainly tariff uncertainty, and, and we're hearing it more and more from companies. And why wouldn't you warn on some level, especially after the backdrop where people had the expectations so high? Well, that, I mean, that's, that's my question. Going into earnings season, if you're a CEO of an industrial company or a consumer product, any of these companies that might have input cost variations, might, might have some geopolitical expense, why not say the impact is on, why not kitchen Maybe the impact it? really is. Inflationary impacts increased during the quarter, and as a result, we experienced a high level of cost inflation since the cycle began two years ago. You hear that from, you can start hearing that from a lot of companies, which means for you folks who don't think the Fed is in play, the Fed is absolutely in play. Well, our next guest says rising rates are here to stay, but you can still buy stocks. Which ones? Let's bring in Julian Emanuel, chief equity and derivative strategist at BTIG. You get a warning like PPG, and you piece that together with Pepsi, uh, you know, all these other companies that have come out so far. Does that cause you concern that we're going to start hearing on these company conference calls the impact of higher input costs, the input of, uh, impact of tariffs, the inability perhaps to pass price increases to a consumer? No question about it. You are going to hear these things. But as you discussed moments ago, you're actually setting up soft into the reports. And unlike, you know, a market that was ramping into prior earnings season reports, that's a good setup. But it's absolutely going to be an issue. And if you look at it, it's really not conclusive whether the tariffs are inflationary or disinflationary. It's, it's, it's this constant tug of war. And I would suggest that uh, the move higher in rates is due to a lot of other things, uh, one of them being a lack of demand uh, on the part of international investors. But the point being that unlike the last move over 3 percent, this one has staying power uh, and the yield curve steepening as a consequence is, is part of the reason why. And for us, that is a green light for financials and energy. For financials and energy, but how about the rest of the markets? I mean, is this ultimately, do you see the longer term trend, which is rising rates usually positively correlated with stocks or the reverse happening? That could change eventually, but, you, but for, for that to change would really would take uh, the impact of the trade war to be inflationary, something just sort of more longer term in nature. And we just don't know the answer to that yet. And that's why corporate commentary in the upcoming earnings season is going to be very important to listen to. You talked about maybe the head fake on rates. Maybe this is about foreign buyers stepping away, Treasuries refunding twice as much going into next year than they were 2017. Could, could rates higher just be a technical dynamic right now? Uh, we don't think so. so. So if you look the next several weeks, we have come a long way in the 10-year, and it wouldn't surprise us at all for sort of uh, the pause that refreshes, as it were. But really, when you look at the bigger picture, the bigger trend, and you talked about double tops and double bottoms, if you look back over the history of 10-year rates, there is a momentum double bottom that would indicate, you know, the bigger trend has changed uh, to higher rates. Julian, about energy. I mean, it, energy has the highest uh, revision rate up among the bottoms up analyst community and the highest price target differential between current 
and where people believe it. And yet, it's been all PE contraction all year. The most of all the sectors, the most multiple contraction has been in energy. I'm sort of surprised how poorly it acts given we hit 85 a barrel in Brent, 75 in WTI, and still the energy is not really coming to life. It, it, there is definitely a skepticism around the uh, staying power of higher oil prices. But, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, is that the geopolitical situation would lead you to believe that there is a staying power to it. And, and to your point, Carter, the, you know, the, the composition of energy in the S&P 500 index continues to be near all-time lows, sort of 6, 6.5% versus 10% average. So you could get a really big rally, and we think that's part of the story in a market that stays essentially flat. So are you worried, though, about forward earnings revisions lower? If you think about all these input costs going higher, we know where oil is, we know where the dollar is. Labor. Um, you know, it, it, we know where labor, we know where trucking. Pepsi said this Credit's last week. Credit's more expensive. Credit's more expensive, financing all this debt, and then the inability to kind of, um, you know, borrow to buy back stock. Couldn't you see a legitimate EPS downgrade for 2019 between now and the end of the year? You, you could, but the counter to that is, is that valuations in aggregate are already okay. I mean, you've really had, you've had multiple contraction in 2018, uh, a couple of turns, and if you're still gonna grow close to double digits in 2019, the market can support that. The question is, and I think we talked about this a few moments ago, what's the Fed's reaction function? And the Fed's telling you that there is a reaction function as opposed to discrete forward guidance now. So if things get a little more dicey over the next month or two, uh, we'll see if the Fed steps back. That's supportive for markets. Do you, are you saying that you think the December hike is in question? Yes, we, we have always okay. said that. Uh, we, uh, our so even though it's priced at what, 95%? I don't even know what the it's, Fed, it's, it's something like about that? about 75, 80%. Okay. So our view is, is that they may still hike, yeah. but the probability of their hiking is it's likely lower to come down between now and then. And because of Be earnings season? Because, because of, of earnings season, because of tariffs, because of midterm elections. There's a lot of reasons to expect volatility over the next couple of months, and it could ultimately end up being upside volatility. Julian, thank you. Good to see you, Julian Always, Emanuel, BTIG. You. you buy what Julian's saying? Well, I, to a point, but I mean, I think if the Fed doesn't hike in December... I think it would freak the market out. I think it would freak the market out. So <laughs> I can understand how you could say it's bearish, because, again, you have the Fed put in place. I think the market might knee-jerk go higher, but I think then they'll say, what do they see that the rest of us aren't seeing? I actually think it would be bearish. If the Fed said that today, that's fine. But, but I think what Julian is saying, and good for them for getting out there with a, a non-consensus call on this, is, is that by the time we get deep into the fourth quarter, mm -hmm. you're actually going to have seen, as I've said a couple of times, we haven't seen trade data yet because no, yeah. that, it's, too early. Know, it, we, it's not in the cards. So um, I like the ability to be flexible on that. The Fed says they're data dependent. Why not? You know, you said we haven't seen trade data, but we might have seen first half data like buying of semiconductors like push forward, right? Like we might have seen a yeah, lot of this I, stuff. And that's one of the reasons why we talk too. about, you know, well, semis, they sell into industrial. They sell into a lot of different end markets. So, you know, at the end of the day, we may be like looking back and saying, oh, that was kind of obvious. And I'll just say this, that if the market rallies, it goes parabolic, it breaks out because the Fed doesn't raise in December, then we set up like we did last January, where it just everyone's scratching their head. None of it makes any sense. Sense, and then before you know it, we're down 10%. And ultimately, the consumer, I mean, consumer discretion, the comps are going to get very hard very soon. Coming up, Square is getting smacked. The stock is down 8%. It's not the only payment stock in pain. We'll tell you how bad it could get. Plus, Facebook has its eyes on you. It is launching a new video chat device called Portal. 
But should consumers trust Mark Zuckerberg monitoring their homes? We are putting the device to the fast money test. And later, General Electric soaring 20% this month. And the chart master here says the rally is just getting started. We'll tell you how high he sees it going. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more fast money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. The payment pain continues. Check out some of the moves in these once hot stocks. Square, the big loser today and this week as BTIG flags concerns about its exposure to the credit markets. That's down 12 percent. PayPal down 8 percent. MasterCard down 7 percent. Visa, that's down 6 percent in the past week. So is there more pain ahead for these stocks, Dan? Well, let's talk about Square. Let's talk about PayPal. I mean, these have been obviously darlings. They're disruptors. You know, Square had a $40 billion market cap just a couple of weeks ago. So, you know, it went from 80 bucks to 100 bucks, and now it's on its way back to 80 bucks. So to me, I don't look at that up 150% of the year and say it's a big disaster. I think it's important to recognize the fact that the Wall Street Journal ran a story about a company called Brex that's worth a billion dollars. It was founded by two Stanford kids who dropped out their freshman year last year. You know, there's just a ton of money coming into this space. I think it's probably a bit more disruptive for the likes of MasterCard and Visa eventually, but I don't think how you can complain about a quick drawdown in a square after the move it's had this year. You've already well, said that this that's space right. is... Also, it's, it's, it's this. It's, if you look at the correlations right now with this type of stock as it relates to, like, the S&P 500 software sub-industry group, whether that's Salesforce or Adobe or Microsoft, they're correlating on a week-over-week -week basis at close to 95%. It's not about the type of business it's in. It's a, it's a money flow issue. People are selling aggressively stocks that have been great winners. Uh, and the sentiment is broken, and they're either doubling back and finding losers like utilities, or they're going out altogether. But it's not so specific, at least from what I see, whether it's PayPal, AmeriExpress, Visa, MasterCard. It's a type of stock, up and to the right, too steep, that is getting a real haircut. And there's a reason why it's gotten too steep, because everyone says, oh, it's a $20 trillion opportunity, cross-border payments, remittances, you name it, whatever. And that's why everyone who's got a whiff into that business is given that valuation. I mean, look, Visa has some great business. Visa Direct very, is a fascinating business. These guys are well positioned. But what's the multiple here? And people have forgotten what Visa really is. And I think it's a great point. You get it's, it's a sobriety check. I mean, at some point, great business, but these valuations are tough. That's the problem. The, I think people now focus on valuations, which hadn't been a concern for a long time. Carter mentioned the chart. Well, the charts are from the low left to the upper right, and they're still intact, by the way, in both MasterCard and Visa. But very quickly, it could be not intact. And in terms of Visa, it's through 135. And in terms of MasterCard, it's probably 200. However, I think people are now focused on valuations that they hadn't looked at before. All right. For more on the issues plaguing Square, you can head over to CNBC.com. There is a great article on the topic there. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. And lately, GE shares have brought good things to investors. And the Chartmaster says there's something in the charts that points to more gains. Plus, be very, very quiet. I'm hunting. Yield. Because with the backup rates, a number of Dow stocks are sporting some pretty big dividend yields. And we'll tell you which ones the traders are buying when Fast Money returns. Comments from President Trump on the South Lawn at the White House. Let's join in. There was no collusion. There's no Russia. It was all made up by the Democrats. They're the ones that colluded with Russia. The Democrats colluded with Russia. And frankly, the previous administration didn't do anything about Russia when they knew that they should have. Yeah. 
Gotta speak up, look. I said that I was going, there was, I'm not making any changes. You'd be the first to know, I'm not making any changes. Though. I, I am concerned about it. I don't like hearing about it. And hopefully that will sort itself out. Right now, nobody knows anything about it, but there's some pretty bad stories going around. I do not like it. Thank you. I'll see you. I'll see you at 7 o'clock. What do you have to say to Taylor Swift now that she's in politics? Taylor Swift jumping into politics. What do you have to say to her? And what did she say? She said she wants people to vote for Democrats. And not Marsha Blackburn, especially. You know, well, Marsha Blackburn is doing a very good job in Tennessee. She's leading now substantially, which she should. She's a tremendous woman. I'm sure Taylor Swift has nothing or no, doesn't know anything about her. And uh, let's say that I like Taylor's music about 25% less now, okay? Thank you. And that was President Trump making some comments on the South Lawn just moments ago. Let's uh, bring in Eamon Javers in D.C. A lot of different comments, including uh, how much less he might like Taylor Swift music now. Yeah, the president's saying there that he's only 75% of a Taylor Swift fan now that she's endorsed a Democrat running in the state of Tennessee. And, of course, the president was asked about Rod Rosenstein. So much speculation about what was going to happen between the two men on Air Force One. Rod Rosenstein flying down to Orlando, Florida with the president and back on the big airplane. Uh, the president saying, I'm not going to make any changes just there. He also said, we just had a very nice talk. We actually get along. So uh, the president not going into detail about what happened, but suggesting that Rod Rosenstein has his job after a lot of people have been speculating that he might be getting set to fire the deputy attorney general who's overseeing that Russia investigation, which the president says is a hoax and a witch hunt. Uh, looks like Rod Rosenstein has emerged from that airplane travel uh, with his job intact, Melissa. All right, Eamon, thank you. Eamon Javers from Washington. Coming up, Facebook wants to get into your home, announcing its new portal device. But with Facebook's laundry list of privacy issues, is this the right move for the company? We will explain. Plus, rates are on the rise, so if you're looking for income, where should you turn? The traders here will do a little <coughs> yield hunting. Much more Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Looks like Wall Street's changing its tune on GE. The latest analyst jump, to jump back onto the bandwagon, Barclays analyst Julian Mitchell, made his bull case on the halftime report earlier today. I think that a dividend cut has been largely factored in by institutional um, investors. So I think if you saw a clearing of the decks on the dividend, we get a clearer path from a new CEO on the higher financial flexibility, what that dividend cash will be used for instead, which is likely a very aggressive power restructuring. I think people will like that message because they'll understand then why the earnings and free cash looking out two years should see a very sharp increase. This, as GE has made an electric comeback, soaring 20% so far in October, becoming the best-performing stock in the S&P during that time, giving us a glimpse of its glory days back when, as wow. you hear from the old commercial song, 
it was a shining light in the market. So does this finally mean the worst is over for GE? Shareholder Tim. Great tune. I mean, that's a great tune. Reminds me of better days. Um, <laughs> look, I, I think for the company, look, Mr. Culp comes in. People think what he did at Danaher is something you could immediately carry out at GE. If you think that, no. Um, will he do more than Flannery was probably going to do? Yes. Will he increase revenues over the course of a couple of years because the power business probably is at the, at the low ebb and because I think the energy business is on an upswing? Yes. Valuation-wise, if you want to do this, this metric, one times 2000, uh, $1, $1 2018 means you're at whatever, $13.5 uh, times multiple. That's very cheap. Ultimately, though, this is about seeing visibility in cash flows. I think you stay long the stock. What do you go when we go over to that thing? What's that? The smart it's board. It's the, the plasma. The plasma. It's just like plasma, I said. like a plasma. And we TV, did it. We did a plasma. thing a couple weeks ago. Uh, the, the more, more you, you know. know. Remember that whole referencing thing? Referencing it. So how can I forget it? Thank you, Mel. And we went and we said these are the three reasons maybe we have seen a bottom in G. Viable. They're still in viable businesses. Yes. They've addressed some of their problems, and they addressed them now by getting a new CEO. By the way, we didn't know that at the time. That's true. And they had a huge volume day, so you maybe saw the capitulatory bottom on 140 million shares. We talked about it then. So although I don't think their problems are over by any stretch of the imagination. I think it can continue to rally into earnings on October 25th. It's all about expectations. And this Barclays analyst is making the, the point that investors right now are prepared for an There are no expectations. Cut. They are they are prepared for a free cash flow cut. They are prepared for a dividend cut. And that's half the battle. I think the history of distressed equities will tell you that those four words, dividend price, uh, the dividend cut priced in uh, don't really play out the way that people uh, who are hopeful about that do. I mean, they just don't, right? And so here's a, yeah, those four. Well, I had a count on his hand. I had a count on my so hand. It's like, well, him, do you anyway, go ahead. In, no, dividend, I, I got confused. Okay. No, I, I'm just saying it doesn't usually work out that way, right? But, but, but hasn't the expectation of a dividend cut already played itself out in terms of the shareholder base? In other words, I think you've actually seen a major rotation out of this stock by those that we're expecting one thing or another. To me, I think it's clean slate time in GE's shareholder base, and that's what's very positive for the share price. Well, while Wall Street analysts are getting bullish on GE, our very own chart master made the bold call to buy GE way back in April. As, again, it's continued lower over the last several weeks and months, the actual internals have moved higher. I think I want to stick my neck out, take a gamble that this very important, now less important stock is maybe so bad it's good. GE is up 4% since that call, and with the most recent rally, Carter says the lows are in for GE. So why don't you head over to the so, plasma. Yeah. Nice. That's plasma. a pretty feeble low, 4%. Um, and it, was, it did make a new low. So, I mean, it just shows how treacherous it is, too. We have these adages, don't catch the falling knife uh, value trap. And to some extent, that's the risk here. But it went further, and now there might just be the signs that it's uh, reaching in. I want to pull in the all-data chart going back to the 1990s, and then do a little bit of drawing. So what we have here is we have three distinct periods, down 64%, down 86 down 66 And what's interesting is these are all four-year, exactly four-year declines. Um, and so this most recent one, um, it looks to me as though this is about where we get the setup for some sort of throwback. And that's the bet here. So let's drill down a little bit more and focus in on the most recent period. So here's our entire bull market since 09. And obviously, while the stock market continues, GE slumps, and it slumps dramatically. Let's put in some uh, lines here. Now, this is a little bit crowded, but these are all the declines that the stock has had 
um, and then the counter trend rally. So up 15, up 9, up 7, up 11, up 22, and then we're up 22 again. So the, the issue is, is this sequence over? We're about to make new lows. The, the gap that Guy was talking about is the key, and I think that's why this, the lows are in. And then finally, here is the here and now. Here's the April, so that wasn't so great, right? We're, we, we made a new low, but we're back now to it, and we're a little above. But I think the key thing is this. Here is the downtrend, and what we know, and there's no way around this, is that this has failed, 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 and now we failed ever so slightly, but then we pushed through. And that then is the judgment, that this finally, the lows are set, upside unknown, possibly quite a bit, but it's more about are the, are the lows in. I think that's the case. So, Carter, you've been drawing lines on charts for a very long time, and, and a very long time for Fast Money in particular. Um, I feel like you need a bottom line, like there needs to be a, a wedge sort of setup for it to throw up from well, that line. I don't understand what the upper... You, upper um, price target would be from would here. Be here. Well, that gets back to sort of the longer-term chart. I mean, if you were to recover, again, some of these moves. So this is, a, again, some of these counter-trend moves are fairly substantial, but the key is that this one is moving from a low, basically having held, and I think this one will be more outsized than the others, and, and that's the bet, that, the, that it's, it's really first and foremost... Has it set the low because of that heavy volume gap and that very record uh, volume day? And, and that's the bet. I think Carter should come back. So we got he's already I mean, sitting at the desk. It would be kind of, kind of awkward there. if he just stayed there the whole rest of does the Does he want to come back, yes. though? That's the question. I mean, Apparently, he does. Apparently, he does. Apparently, he does. He's coming back. Um, what would you say, I mean, in terms of the options market, have you noticed activity that would indicate one so, way or another. So really another. interesting, today the call volume was like one and a half times that of puts. Sure. And a lot of it was in the weekly options. So traders have just become obsessed with this name because the momentum, you know, that first gap, that first day when it gapped higher, it gave most of it back, right? But then some guys got in there and gals and said, you know what? I think Carter's right. I think the bottom's in. And they've been doing a lot of the weekly near the money calls and just kind of playing it uh, for short-term moves. Uh, this, this stock also falls that same phrase I've said many times about emerging markets or other bombed out stuff. When things, you make the most money when things go from awful to just bad. And this stock's up 22% in, in just two weeks um, based upon a change in sentiment and not a whole lot left. As CEO, not insignificant, but I think there's, you know, a lot of good news has already been priced in. Is the, oh, has already been priced Well, I, I, just, I just want to point out that, okay. I mean, you've had a massive run in a stock that basically struggled to have this kind of move in a long time. It's not things that are suddenly better. It's that things weren't awful. And by the way, there still has to be an earnings conference call, an investor update, right, with call to investors. We don't really know what the plans are, and has it been priced in? Has the worst been priced in? No, I think there's still so, a chance. Like, I think people are going to chase in earnings. And I, it makes a new low? And I think it potentially could make a new low at the back half. Well, we're in the back half, the early next year, let's just say. But in the meantime, into earnings on the 25th, I think there's an absolute chance this thing prints at least 15, which percentage-wise is still a significant move. Yeah. All right. Still ahead. <laughs> Rates are on the rise. And if you're looking for yield in the markets, the traders have four Dow stocks for you. Plus, Facebook is coming to your living room. The tech giant announcing a new voice-activated device tune. today. Terrible song. Is this the right move amid all the privacy concerns surrounding the company? Oh. Much more Fast Money right after this.
Welcome back to Fast Money. Rates soaring to multi-year highs, but if you're on the hunt for yield, a number of big names boosting, boasting, excuse me, big dividends uh, that could make them worth a buy. Bob Pisani is breaking it all down at the NYSC. Hey, Bob. Hello, Melissa. The S&P yields 1.8% on average, but five stocks in the Dow pay twice that amount. Now, IBM is the leader here, but that, that's not surprising. You know, IBM has raised its dividend every year for nearly 20 years. In fact, it's doubled its dividend in the last six years. So no surprise on that. We had Verizon, Exxon, Chevron, Procter & Gamble. They pay some juicy yields. That, that's not surprising, too, given telecom, oil, consumer staples. They typically pay higher average yields than the overall market. Now, here's the good news. The companies are still raising their dividends, and the increases are on average higher. 293 companies raised their dividends, an average of 14% this year alone. That's the highest raise since 2014. Now, you know this is coming. The bad news, higher rates may make them a little less appealing to investors. For years, we had below-trend GDP growth, and we had low rates. Now, in that environment, what do you do? You buy growth stocks and you buy dividend stocks, like the ProShares Dividend Aristocrats ETF. This is the companies that have consistently raised dividends over the years. This was a popular investment for years. But as soon as interest rates spiked in February, dividend payers underperformed the market, and they have underperformed as rates have spiked recently. So the picture is complicated here because many of these high-yielding stocks, you know, like Procter & Gamble, they're safety plays that tend to hold up better when the market suddenly drops, as it has recently. So it's not a simple picture. But in an era of low growth and low rates, it was simple. You wanted to own growth and you wanted to own the stuff that pays higher rates. But we may be moving out of that era, and that's the debate we're having right now. We may be moving into an era of higher growth and higher rates. In that kind of environment, owning dividend-paying stocks may still make sense under some circumstances, but it's not as compelling a case as it was a year ago. Back to you, Melissa. All right, Bob, thanks. Bob Bisani at the NYSE. So are any of these high-dividend yield names worth a buy? Well, we thought this would be the perfect time do some for our traders to go yield hunting. Do some hunting. Now, as you know, it's one of our traders' absolute favorite games, but just <laughs> let's review the rules in case uh, it's been a while. Yeah. Let's take Verizon, for instance. We're going to go around it. the horn, and if the traders think it's a buy, you will see and hear this. If they do not, you will see and hear this instead. There we go. Makes In no sense, case, by the way. I think they the got traders it don't think it's worth the hunt, so they're going to let the stock go, symbolized so, by the duck flying away. Now I'm, oh, I, I, I'm really confused because I'm so the, confused. The, stock, the, the, the symbol the that traders, I'm supposed to be saying I like the stock is 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 red, as in going down, and the bad one is green, green. as in going up. I mean, I'd fly away right now if I could. Okay. If I could. So, it, anyway, let's, let's we're try. We're not going to change the rules now because that involves Anyone a whole with me on a process. I, I there are bylaws that need to be approved. So, let's okay. just remember right. that the red duck means you like the thing and the green target means you don't. Got it? Yeah. Verizon, Tim, dividend yield more than 4%. Are you buying this? My duck is flying so high right now. Love the duck. I am. Buying hunt, it. Buying it. Hunting so, it. Oh, whatever. Wait. Like, <laughs> No, see, 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 even that's this has really confused me as well. Wait, are we on air right now? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, wait, are we practicing yes. this? Or we're on no, air? we're really on air. Can I, on air. Can I, can I, can I, 
together. I like the stock, Mel, here. Okay, I like it. Like I'm, I'm, I'm div like, hunting. I'm yield yeah, hunting. Hunt I like the stock. One. And here's why. This one. Here's okay. why. I, I think ultimately Verizon, first of all, the benefits of 5G extend beyond fixed broadband and wireless. I think these guys have undergone massive CapEx cuts over the last couple of years. This stock starts to be, you want yield. They're going to be more free cash flow, higher free cash flow yields at Verizon in the next three years than they've had probably in the, in the last 20. I actually like this stock a lot. Valuation cheap. Mel, I just got, the, you know, we wear these things in our ear. They're yes, called so IFBs. Yeah. I'm not sure what that yeah. stands for, but I'm just hearing from our crack staff. Max Myers just said uh -huh. green, so the, 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 target. the target. target is good means it's going Oh, okay. Higher. All right, because we did the and reverse red before, duck which means was very confusing. Okay. But, Tim, why, why would you like right. the AT&T? You know, it's actually underperformed Verizon massively as a 5.8% dividend yield. I do like it. It seems like that one. I, I'm long it. Okay. So, I mean, I, it's a so fair question. So you're trading it. It's a fair question. Um, but it, it wasn't an option for me. If okay. you tell me Verizon, I want now the green circle, not the red duck. Okay. It was so obvious. The green circle, because you like Verizon. I like, like Verizon. Verizon. Okay. This might be an opportunity for you out there to turn your volume <laughs> up and don't just go by the graphics. So if you're not, if you're on mute, please turn us up just to make sure Did Tim likes Verizon. All right, next stop, <laughs> IBM. It's got a dividend yield of over 4%. Dan, are you buying IBM? No, I'm fading it, and I'll tell you why. I, I think that this <laughs> is a now setup. That's the confluence of another are game. You, are you a uh, green duck or, or a red buying? target? Listen, here's, a, a, here's, a a thing, duck. here's the thing he's about IBM. Duck. I thought Bob Pisani's setup was really good, right? So what has worked this year? It's been high dividend payers or it's been growth. And this has just a high dividend. It's really been, in my opinion, a value trap for a long time. So this company needs to be broken up. At some point, I suspect they stop raising that dividend in the not-too-distant future. Um, so I am uh, ducking it, fading it, gone. <laughs> I do not like it. Red duck. All right, now that we're all clear on that, I mean, I feel so much better. I didn't understand what I, the graphics meant no. before. I, I guess we're um, clear. Let's Exxon. see. Got, this is the ultimate test. Who's up next? Guy Adami's oh, up next. Guy Adami. We'll see if he can decipher this. ExxonMobil, dividend yield just under 4%. I think that sucker's going higher, so put that little green glass <laughs> with the stethoscope thing, because I think if you look, Exxon's been in a four-year downtrend. <laughs> but we are about to break out to the upside for the first time, not unlike General Electric, by the yeah. way, in quite some time. 15 times forward earnings is not that unreasonable. They report, I think, on November 2nd. So I'm absolutely putting my scope, I'm zeroing the in on that. Not the Steph. periscope, Steph. not Steph. The scope is the thing on, you know, you I, listen to the chest and When the you get to my age, yeah, you, like you that. do that a lot. All right, Procter & Gamble is the next one. Dividend yield 3.5%. Carter Braxton Worth, what do you say? Well, there was an opportunity here. The stock was 70 in April, but it's already rallied to 87. That's a 23% move. I think the good eating has been had, so you shoot the duck, duck goes down, red duck, <laughs> sell, whatever nomenclature yeah. you like. No, I like what you're Carter doing. Carter is very decisive, and, and I will like to point Where's out that this is, the first, this is the first time that Carter has played this game. You know and what? He did I, it perfectly. I, good for Carter, Mr. Yeah, Goody Two-Shoes. Yeah. He got it right. Exactly. He was last in line after they changed yeah. the game no, on us geez. in the middle. We should also be very clear that no ducks were hurt in the formation. Yeah. I don't want any emails from yeah. duck-loving people this out there. This is cage-free ducks. Still ahead, Facebook's coming to your kitchen. Launching a new chat device called Portal, but should consumers trust Mark Zuckerberg monitoring their homes? We're putting it to the fast money test. Plus, let's take a peek into the Mad Money studio with our Kramer cam. Tonight, Jim is breaking down the big winners and losers in the new communications sector. That is at the top of the hour. We're live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. Much more fast right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Facebook out with a new portal into your home. Our Julia Borson joins us from Los Angeles with more on that. Hey, Julia. 
That's right, Melissa. Facebook's Portal and Portal Plus are its new voice-controlled video calling devices that aim to compete with the smart home gadgets from Amazon, Google, and Apple. They're on sale now, starting at $200, and they'll ship early next month. Now, these portals aim to focus on video calling with a smart camera that follows you as you move around the room to appeal to the 400 million people who use messenger voice and video chat every month and to advance Facebook's push to connect friends and family using its services. Now these devices are equipped with Amazon's Alexa voice assistant software so consumers can ask for the weather or to control other smart home devices. Now besides video calls, these devices can stream music from Spotify, Pandora and Amazon and video from Facebook Watch, but not from other popular apps such as YouTube. Now Amazon is both a partner and Facebook's biggest rival. Amazon controlled 34% of market share, the smart speaker market in the first half of the year, according According to strategy analytics. Facebook's move to sell a listening device comes amid growing concerns about privacy. Just today it was revealed that Google opted not to disclose to users that it discovered a bug that gave outside developers access to some Google Plus users' private data. Now, Facebook says these devices are built with privacy and security in mind. They include a cover for the camera lens and a button to turn the camera and microphones on and off. Also saying that Facebook does not listen to, view, or save your calls. But based on some blowback on Twitter, it does seem like privacy will be top of mind for consumers. Melissa, back over to you. Absolutely. Julia, thank you. Julia Borson in Los Angeles. Well, Fast Money received an exclusive advanced copy of Facebook's new portal camera. And here's what we captured earlier today. Oh. Look at my hair. Holy cow. Hold on, Tim. Tim, I'm Serious here. Serious back. Dude, I brought dude, my pick I'm, and I brought my comb. I brought my brush. I'm not so let's feeling just good about myself today. Fix this up a little bit. Let's wow. just. Okay, how's that? Let me just get that right there. Nice. Feeling a little bit better? Yeah. And I noticed money. you're a little shiny. Yeah. So, brought my brush. Get thing. a little of that, that dark. Okay, close your bag. eyes. I don't yeah. want to. Please close your eyes. Think. And just keep it closed. Okay. Take a look. Perfect. Ready for your close-up. I look great. <laughs> wow, okay. That was um, disturbing. I'm sorry <laughs> people had this chance to see that, but guy, thank you so much for that. Uh, I mean, well, you're welcome. I mean, look like at Tim now. I mean. All right, just kidding. We did not receive an advanced copy <laughs> oh. of Portal, but if Mark Zuckerberg is watching, send us one. We'd love to test it out. Um, but let's trade Facebook. Is this the kind of device that could win the home? What do you think? A year, 18 months from now, maybe. I mean, they're going to have to win the home. But in the meantime, when Carter and I talked about this, and we've been talking about the move to the downside, was today's low of 154.40 enough? We had flagged that 155 level. So do you get long Facebook in earnings here, or do you wait till earnings? I still think the path of least resistance is down, but at least you have something to trade against today's low. That's right. We haven't approached that uh, sort of testifying low. And I remember, this is a stock loss $120 billion in one day. That, that was a Thursday, July 26th. You just don't want to stand in front of this kind of trouble. Do you, do you think that the stock's weaker because people are already are pricing in, you know, weaker ad numbers and, and, and revenue numbers? I, I actually don't even think so. Therefore, when we haven't really gotten any notable you know, response from management or really the, the, last, the next data point, I don't know why you'd want to go near it. And again, good governance of technology is what it comes down to for Facebook. And I think the question is, are there new controls in place? And you hear me talking about this all the time. So I'll stop for now. But I don't think that Facebook is out of the woods on this in any way. All right, let's switch gears here. The airline stocks uh, under pressure uh, today as well as in the past month. It could be about to get worse for the group. Delta reports earnings Thursday before the bell. So 
Dan, what's the options market expecting? Yeah, really interesting. You know, Delta, uh, first one to report, the options market is implying about a 3% move in either direction. Not a big mover generally on the day after earnings, about 2.5% over the last four quarters. All of those moves have been higher, but, you know, we have a one-year chart here, and this thing has been really a trading stock. I know as Tim, uh, you own this thing, you know. I mean, look at it. It's been bouncing off of 48. It's been rejected at 60 over the last year. Um, so here we are down 13 or so percent in just the last few weeks here. Um, again, I think the lower we go into the print, the more treacherous it becomes to be, uh, you know, short this sort of thing from a trading standpoint. And just look at that. That's the two-year chart right there. When you look at the consolidation, the thing really feels like a coiled spring despite the volatility within that one-year range. All right. For more options action, you can check out the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, the Chartmaster says there is one sleepy Dow stock that's about to break out. Can you guess which one it is? The answer when we come back. Mm. Let's go around the horn. Tim. Another yield play. Look at MLPs, ETP. Look at the differentials in favor of the Permian. Take that. Carter, the Dow stock that's about to break out is? Sleepy Disney. Oh. Underperformed for three years. It peaked with Star Wars in August of 15. I think it brings out the new highs. Sleepy. Yeah, you know, we were talking about those payment stocks. We were also talking about tech stocks that are kind of getting beaten up, and the setup could be really interesting to earnings. I think PayPal could be one, maybe a few bucks lower, maybe towards 75. Big start tonight for Nathan Avaldi. What do you think? Pitching against his old team for the Red Sox. If you had to sort of handicap it, do you think Yankees tear him up tonight or do you think he silences their bats? I think he gets torn up. Torn up, which is that's what we want. So we're ahead 2-1 going into tomorrow. I know you're happy about Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. I mean, and you know what else Brock you should Palmer. be happy about? What's that guy? A stealth rally in Bristol Myers BMY. All right. I'll that does it for us. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Money. Meantime, that money with Jim starts right now.